Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Friday. It's May 19th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. There is a horse race this weekend. The Preakness and the Kentucky Derby winner Mage is set to uh, run in the field. So we'll pop on out to the KDOS hotline around 10:15 or so to chat with our horse guy, Sean Alvarez. And you can follow him on Twitter at SmoothTurn2 uh, for his take on what's going to unfold in the Preakness Stakes tomorrow. In addition to that, we have a $100 gift certificate for you to Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. We'll get into all of that in just a minute. But let's first begin with today's poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question who do you have ats tonight in boston bob you had a, a in-depth conversation with keith smith celtics blog and you can podcast that over at kdos1060.com or with the kdos1060 app if you missed any of that conversation but the ats number heat plus nine celtics minus nine maybe keith had some influence here because we're now in a 50 50 split yeah, except you know, he kind of advocated uh, you know the, the taking the you know laying the nine points. So we'll see what happens. The Celtics four and four at home, straight up this postseason after the Miami you know third quarter onslaught in the second half rally to win the first game by seven. Uh, so yeah, pretty uh, intriguing game, and uh, it's not quote a must win situation, but it is pretty close to a must-win situation. We have certainly seen teams lose their first two games at home and come back and win playoff series. That's not unprecedented. You know, three down 3-0 in the NBA playoffs and winning a series, that is unprecedented. But uh, Celtics are pr- pretty close to a must-win situation tonight. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be going back to Miami uh, down 0-2, and then all of a sudden the pressure gets ratcheted up a little bit. But uh, we will get into more in-depth on this answer around 11.30 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, does LeBron James shoot too many three-pointers? Obviously, coming from the Lakers' loss last night, he was 0-6 for from behind the arc, and the masses are on the yes side of things to the tune of 100% of the vote. Yeah, he's uh you know 0 for 9 in the two losses at Denver. He for the playoffs, we're talking 13 games now. He's shooting 25% from behind the arc. And last night obviously he had the three misses in the fourth quarter. Couple of those were they could have certainly gotten better shots. It wasn't up against the shot clock in the a couple of those. Now one of them it was. Uh, but he was just kind of stuck with the ball, and that was partly his fault because he had the ball too long. But still, uh, but you know, jacking up threes, and actually, uh, you know, we 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 I, I, we talked about this question or you know you know text about this question last night. 
And then the first thing I heard this morning is our our frequent sports zone guest, Mo DeKeel, uh, at uh, the Athletic and the uh, Daily Ding podcast. Like their first topic of discussion was LeBron shoots too many threes, and uh, I felt pretty good about the question at that point. So uh, I felt pretty good about the question anyway. I just got confirmation. When I heard uh, Mo talking about that to start the, the podcast this morning. We'll answer that question around 1130 today. As a friendly reminder, our friends over at Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, they're located 2390 North Alma School Road in Chandler. Of course, Von Hansen's, it's not your normal meat market, craft beer, wine, spirits, and amazing treats for your four-legged friends. The weekend specials here, certified Angus beef choice T-bone steak at $15.99 a pound, prime pork loin back ribs at six. 99 a pound and fresh boneless skinless stuffed chicken breasts at 4.99 a pound so visit them at 2390 north alma school in chandler or online at vonhansensmeats.net that 100 gift certificate available to you a little later on in the show so let's go back to last night and the nuggets topping the lakers 108 to 103 let's start with the lakers side of things uh they had the halftime lead 53 to 48 Rui Hachimura's offensive game was unbelievable. Everyone thought the adjustment was going to be Rui's going to get the start. Well, Rui didn't get the start, but he did play a considerable amount of minutes. He ended the night 8 of 10 with 21 points. He had 17, though, in the first half. LeBron was 9 of 19, 0 of 6 from 3, 22 points, 9 rebounds, and 10 assists. And Anthony Davis struggled 4 of 15, 1 of 3 from 3, 14 rebounds with 18 points. And as a team, the Lakers were 8 of 30 from 3. Yeah, I think that the you know the Nuggets will take the trade off. Not that they don't care that really gets you know 100 points, but you know they are certainly more interested in trying to slow down Davis and LeBron. And you mentioned the numbers uh, for those two. The Lakers are now 2-6 and six in this postseason when Davis and LeBron combined for fewer than 40 points in the game. And now that was the case last night. Of course, Jamal Murray went off in this game. He wasn't very good for the first you know, two and a half, three quarters almost. But in the fourth quarter, he had, uh, he had 23 points in the fourth quarter. Just the fourth quarter. So he ended up with 38 in the game. I'm a little unclear as to why the Lakers didn't try to double-team him more often and make somebody else make a shot, which for some of that game, the Nuggets weren't having guys that were making shots. And then in the fourth quarter, everybody made a shot. Uh, Not just Murray, but it seemed like uh, there was a stretch there that they throw in uh, some contested threes, some uncontested shots. It was just going to matter. The ball was going to go in the basket at that point. So the Nuggets are still unbeaten at home in the postseason. Uh, they haven't lost a home game since March, you know, whether it's you know, regular season or postseason. And now the Lakers are in a situation where they've lost consecutive games in the po- in the playoffs for the first time this uh, this postseason. I don't know if you had the same impression that I did, uh, that the Nuggets obviously were down at half, and it looks like the third quarter wasn't quite going the way that they wanted to, and they showed uh, a timeout from Michael Malone, and he was very impassioned with what he was saying, asking for more energy, asking for more effort. And then, in fact, after that timeout, he was interviewed by Lisa Salters, and he said the exact same thing. I want more energy and effort out of these guys. This is game 
game two in the Western Conference Finals. This is not a regular season game. I'm, I'm asking them to step up here. And then we kind of saw a, a gear get changed for the Nuggets. The crowd then started to get back into it as well. And of course, uh, it helps when Jamal Murray is just absolutely on fire in that fourth quarter. He had the fourth quarter explosion and he finished with 37 points, 11 of 24, 6 of 14 from three, along with 10 rebounds. Jokic, 9 of 21, 17 rebounds, 12 assists, and 23 points. You already mentioned, though, uh, no points for Jokic there in the fourth quarter as a team. 14 of 30. Two straight games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, he, had, yeah, he actually scored points, but he just didn't have any field goals. Right. Uh, 14 so. of 38 from three, and seven of those threes came in that fourth quarter. Yeah, and I really didn't think it was a lack of effort. I just thought it was a lack of not making shots. I mean, they had a lot of open shots the first three quarters. As I mentioned, it was kind of an avalanche, uh, and uh, no pun intended, with Colorado. But uh, you know they they couldn't miss in the fourth quarter. They go on a twenty to five run. Obviously, Murray was a big part of that. That gave them a ninety six to eighty four lead with five thirty two to go, and then they kind of hung on after that. And part of the reason they hung on is LeBron came down and took some really ill advised three point opportunities. He missed three of them in the fourth quarter. And uh, to repeat from earlier, you know two of those were. You know, they had plenty of time in the shot clock, so it wasn't like a desperation heave with the shot clock running down. So, I'm not real sure what to think of that. Um, you know, this game, this was more like I would have imagined game one uh, because, you know, we talked about the altitude thing when the Suns obviously played in Denver, and uh, we talked about the altitude thing yesterday uh, with, with Harrison Fagan and talked about who bunch of stuff but the altitude thing the Lakers look like a tired team at the end of the game last night uh, actually both teams did, yeah. quite frankly but um, but I would have expected that in game one instead of a game two because he'd been they've been in Denver for three days now or I guess four because they went a day early uh, so it, it was really strange this would have been a scenario I could envision no problem envisioning this in game one pretty surprised the way that this uh, played out in a game two of a series in Denver. Speaking of surprising things, were you surprised that uh, the Lakers have really good half-court defense and then it was just the most awful transition defense? Uh, that's kind of what kept the Nuggets going there in the first half was some easy transition bu- buckets. Well, I'm not surprised of either. To this extent, yes. But, you know, the Lakers are a terrible transition team defensively. They were that before the trade deadline. That's the one thing they were really bad out even after the trade deadline when they made all the uh, additions and changes, uh, you know, the additions and the de- de- depletion of Russell Westbrook. But their transition defense is something that's been a problem all year long. They got better at that against Golden State. Maybe they understood the emphasis of doing that against the Warriors. But uh yeah, they, they shouldn't be this bad on defense, transition-wise, but clearly that's not been a strength of theirs really at any point this season. How do we look at this with Anthony Davis and his lack of production last night? Can can we say with confidence that if AD isn't producing the points, the Lakers can't win, even if you do get special performances from Rui? Or can you say that this proves that they could get it done, they almost got it done, and it equally took something special from Jamal Murray in the fourth to beat them? 
Yeah, even though I really don't think they got it done. Um, yeah, I know that yeah, Murray went wild, but uh, I think the Lakers they really didn't play well. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, Davis, you mentioned the four out of 15. LeBron was 10 out of 19. And I mentioned they're two and six when those two guys don't combine for at least 40. And to this, I thought Davis had a lot of really good opportunities in this game and just missed shots. 15 attempts is probably not enough. And I don't think that's all on him. I mean, I, I didn't quite understand some of the shots that the uh, Lakers perimeter players jacked up. And, you know, I have to go back and look at the uh, game the game again, which I'm not planning on doing, quite frankly. But I'm not sure if you know, Davis was in, in, in post-up positions or in, you know, open uh, to receive passes on some of those jacked up you know, shots. And you mentioned the Lakers were just horrendous from behind the arc, but they kept throwing them up there. Uh, I think it was more of a strategical uh, approach by their team than it was a Anthony Davis failure here. Okay, how about this postgame, this strategy coming from Michael Malone, uh, quoted as saying, but their narrative wasn't about the Nuggets. The narrative wasn't about Nikola. The narrative was about the Lakers and their adjustments. So, you know, you put that in your pipe and you smoke it and you come back and you know what? We're going to go up 2-0. There's also a couple expletives deleted from that quote. Yes. Um, yeah, he, he's really good at the expletive thing. He, he, he does, I guess, even I just kind of look back and went, whoa, it's okay. <laughs> and I'm not exactly, uh, I've been known to use a foul word or two over the years. Uh, so there we go. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's clearly, and this has been going on even since the bubble when you know, they got to the conference finals that year. He clearly is uh, the world's against us, no matter what. And he's right in some cases. And I think he was right in this case. You know, there was the whole thing was, well, yeah, really, they found out that really could guard, you know, basically Jokic, and they're going to come out and use that. And they did some last night. Uh, but that part didn't exactly work out the way that they had hoped either, quite frankly. But, yeah, he is completely – there is – you know, I don't know if uh, yeah, if they're playing like the worst team in the planet. I'm sure that he's trying to drum up some kind of uh, negative attention uh, about their team that you know they can't beat the little sisters of the poor or Disco Tech or whoever however you'd like to phrase that. Uh, yeah, we're the Nuggets. We're you know, we're the underdog. La di da. And he he plays that up more than any NBA coach that I've seen in recent years. So now the series shifts back to L.A. in which the Lakers are also undefeated in these playoffs this season. We'll get to game three a little bit later on in the show because we have to make some room right now for Sean Alvarez to chat. Preakness Stakes Mage, the Kentucky Derby winning horse, is in the field. There was an early scratch this morning, so the field size for the Preakness Stakes down to seven horses. So we'll see if that kind of change. Yeah. So we'll see if that kind of changes some strategy of what Sean is looking at for this upcoming race on Saturday, which is, I believe, coverage gets started 1.30 p.m. local time on NBC. So Sean's coming up on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point on this Friday, May 19th. It's a Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits Friday. Check them out at vonhansensmeats.net and the $100 gift certificate still available for you a little bit later on in the show. We'll be back after this.
The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's the Preakness Stakes this weekend, so we head on out to the KDOS hotline, joined by Sean Alvarez at Smooth Turn 2 on Twitter. Sean, appreciate the time as always. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we alluded to it when we talked before the Derby. Uh, you know, every time... We get to chat. It's it's. I'm very excited about horse racing. So it's a great weekend. We've got the PGA on right now, and uh, tomorrow we'll we'll, we'll uh, get to bet on the Preakness. Absolutely. But first of all, before we get too far into the Preakness, I do want to give you some kudos here because you brought up Mage as a horse that you liked, and he went on to win the Kentucky Derby a few weeks ago. So I'll give you a second to revel in your glory. Yeah, definitely. I, I appreciate that. I, I wish I would have given out the. Uh, the winning exact on this show, I was a little bit too deep on top at Trice, but uh, we did get Mage home, and I was lucky enough to take sixth in the Express Bet contest. So, wound up going home with a little over, a little under sixteen thousand dollars and a six thousand dollar entry into the Pegasus World Cup betting challenge uh, next January. Well, congratulations on all of that, and uh, we'll certainly be following you in your uh, horse racing extravaganza adventures ahead, but let's try to figure out what's going on with this Preakness race. Mage has entered the Preakness. The Preakness Stakes is Saturday, coverage starting at 1.30 p.m. on NBC. He is the only horse in this seven-horse field that competed in the Kentucky Derby, so how rare is that, and does that make Mage the favorite ahead of Saturday? You know, I mean, the Triple Crown, you'll hear a lot of people talking about this, whether you're on social media or just watching kind of the NBC coverage. But the Triple Crown races, those three races, not only the distance, how big the races are, but also just the time in between them and the travel. These are three of the tough. If you race in all three, it's probably the toughest three stretches of racing that any horse is going to encounter in their lifetime. So when you don't, you know, we didn't have a, a super strong Kentucky Derby field going into the Derby anyways, but then when horses don't run as well as they thought, maybe there's an issue with, you know, them not being hundred percent healthy, but it, it, with it going two weeks after the, their biggest race of their life, it's, it's definitely common to see them kind of skip a race two weeks after, whereas normally you're giving horses a full month of rest before their next race. So you do see it often, not often, but it is common for horses that didn't race in the Derby to skip the Preakness, as long as they're not, you know, I mean, if they ran a great race in the Derby and they come back healthy, you're probably going to wheel them back in the Preakness, but it's definitely not uncommon to see. Sean Alvarez, follow him on Twitter at SmoothTurn2 as we're chatting Preakness stakes here. Before we get much further into the actual horses, can you explain to us the Preakness track and how you see this race being run? Yeah, so the, the the track at Pimlico where they race the Preakness is, is a little bit smaller of a track than Churchill Downs, so you are going to get a little bit tighter turns. Um, you know, you're not going to have those big sweeping turns, and especially when we talk three weeks from now, Belmont has huge sweeping turns. So as far as the pre or as far as the Triple Crown races go, it's the tightest track that they're going to run. They do come back a half panel, a half furlong. They're going to run a mile and three eighths on Saturday. Um, so as far as the race goes, you, you, 
it, it's, it's definitely a versatile track. You don't have to be near the lead. You can come from off the pace. Um, it, it's a fair track. It's really going to come down to the weather. Um, and from what I'm seeing, we might see a little bit of rain the night before, but by the time the Preakness runs, we're, I'm expecting a dry track. And so when it comes to, you kind of alluded this here to having only two weeks off. So uh, does that hurt Mage or does that benefit some of the other horses here in this seven horse field? I mean, you know, like you said, I kind of alluded to it. This is probably the only time in Mage's career that he's going to run without having a full month layoff. Obviously, if he does well and runs in the Belmont, he'll have three weeks, but this is not a normal thing. I don't necessarily think that it hurts Mage, but it definitely gives a little bit of a, a bump up or an upgrade to the other horses that have been sitting in the barn, gotten workouts, they're eating. They're, I mean, I'm not saying Mage isn't eating or isn't going on the track, but they're not going to run any kind of blowout. They're not going to get the horse in any kind of more peak physical fitness. They're just going to try and run off of what they had in the Derby and hope to just kind of hang on, um, if you will, for major fitness levels. Sean Alvarez at Smooth Turn 2. Follow him on Twitter as we're chatting the Preakness race, which is this Saturday here. So does strategy change for you with there only being seven horses in the race? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the break that we were talking about in the Derby. If you got the if you had the rail in the Derby, you can almost scratch off your chances of winning. You have to run a great race and a perfect trip. The rail in a seven-horse field is it really just comes down to what your running style is and does it fit, you know, other breakers that are going to come around you. So um, it definitely changes, you know, the pace and mapping out the race. You know, there's not necessarily going to be as much issues or trouble that the horses are going to encounter. It's more of a jockey's race. Is the horse going to break where the jockey wants him to? Is the jock going to be able to settle the horse where he wants him to? And will he respond when the jock goes to ask? So, it's not – you don't have to handicap as much trouble. Um, so it's definitely a little bit different of a process in handicapping. So when you're also talking about pace, is there a particular horse in this race that you would consider to be a pace setter, or is it being with seven horses that that pace kind of also is different? There's a couple horses that I think are going to gun for the lead. Uh, the one, National Treasure, and the four, Coffee with Chris. Uh, the pace definitely changed a little bit with the scratch of the eight first mission. They didn't want to go too fast too early. I don't think anybody of those two horses would really want the lead, mainly because the eight first mission was going to sit just off of them and have first asking. So if they went too fast, the eight first mission was just going to act as if he was on the lead and run his own race and most likely just go right on by him. Now it, it, it becomes a little bit different. I think the one national treasure is going to gun for the lead, um, mainly because the horse doesn't pass horses late. He needs to set the precedent, set his uh, his positioning in the race, and just try to kick on and hold off the other horses coming down the lane. Um, if you look at his past performances, he just doesn't do much running down in the stretch. He'll hold on, he'll dig in, but he doesn't pass horses. So him just try to sit off the lead, I think that was going to be a bad decision. Uh, and I was going to actually play against this horse. And now with the scratch of the eight first mission, this is, I think the, the one national treasure is a big player. Uh, coming up in the race tomorrow. You mentioned National Treasure four to one, Blazing Seven six to one. I was going to ask you about First Mission, but we won't do that. So from the National Treasure four to one, and then Blazing Seven six to one. What do you make about Blazing Sevens? 
it's definitely an interesting horse. He, he ran really good as a two-year-old. He had great uh, trips and ran on when he could. And it was against much tougher. He ran really good as a two-year-old, great, he, and responded well. And he, he, he went up against much tougher competition than he's going to face tomorrow. Um, I really like when Chad Brown skips a race and then points to another race. He didn't run, run great as a three-year-old. Kind of disappointing when he was asked. Instead of kicking on, he kind of went backwards. Chad put him on the shelf. I, I should have looked this up before I'm going to dive into it, but I'm pretty sure Blazing Sevens qualified for the Derby and decided not to run. So I'm not saying that there was something wrong with him, but Chad obviously didn't like that spot. We wheel back to a few years back when cloud computing didn't run in a, in a derby, came back in the Preakness, I believe won at 10 to 1. On, in Chad Brown's barn, kind of looks like the same type of horse. And then Irad Ortiz sticks around. Irad, I'm sure, had a lot of calls. He's one of the top riders. He's, he's, he's somebody you want on your horse in a big race. Instead, he stuck around with Chad. And that just tells me Irad and Chad have a plan for this horse. And I think he's going to fire a big race. Horses perform 15 to 1, Coffee with Chris 20 to 1, and Chase the Chaos is 50 to 1. So, what do you uh, see from these trio of horses? With the six perform, he's going to sit the, the kind of right trip. He's going to be mid pack. He doesn't have to be too far back. He doesn't have to be close. But you kind of look back and he, won, he broke his maiden two starts back in a $37,000 maiden race at Tampa Bay. This is a much different race. He was also three to five that race. So he did it kind of, he, he did what was expected of him. Um, also, Irad was riding that horse, and Irad uh, is choosing not to ride again. So kind of shows you what the people, you know, the, the human connections of the horse think of his chances. I think he could round out the exacta. On top, I just don't think this horse has much of a chance to beat these. Coffee with Chris, I, I just don't see this horse sticking around um, as far as late in the lane to finish in the money. But this horse is definitely going to be a pace presence. Um, he's gonna, I, I think he could cause a lot of fits for the one national treasure if he chooses to do so. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens out of this break because if the one national treasure sits back, the four coffee with Chris could get an easy lead at 20 to one. It'll be inter interesting to see what he does, you know, sticking around late in the lane. However, if the one national treasure gets the lead, I just don't see the four hanging around trying to sit. So he could go up and just try to duel with the one and, and just uh, cause fits for him on the lead. And chase the chaos at 50 to one. I mean, uh, 50 to one, right? The, there's a reason that he's 50 to one. Yeah, I mean, nothing against Golden Gate. I really like the track up in San Francisco area. Um, but they did his best racing on the synthetic against much weaker fields at Golden Gate. None of none of those races were all that impressive, even against that company. I just, I mean, if this horse even breaks the top four, I'd be shocked. Sean Alvarez at Smooth Turn 2 right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. So, uh, it's only seven horses. We went through a few of them here. So, who do you like to win the race? Uh, we kind of alluded to it with the seven Blazing Sevens. Um, man, I kind of just put two and two together, the seven Blazing Sevens. Maybe, you know, it's a prophecy. Um, but, no, uh, I really like the human connections. I love when Chad kind of has this move, skipping the derby, going into the Preakness. Um, I think the sevens is going to run a, a really big race, and I wouldn't be shocked if, if 
we wind up seeing the seven wins and the freakness. The other one that's interesting to me is the five red route one. He will come from the back. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing for him. That's where he does his best running. He's done his, he's done good running when they went slow up front. He's done his good running when they had moderate uh, fractions or the, when they went quick. So he doesn't necessarily need quick fractions to run into. He doesn't need the leaders to come back to him. I think he's going to be firing a big race coming into the stretch. Joel Rosario's riding. I think he's got some of the best hands in the business as far as getting a horse to just relax and, and then finally closing. He closes really well, um, better than a lot of jockeys. So you're giving me Joel on a closing horse at 10 to 1. I really like that. And then the other horse that I'm really scared about, I was going to play against them all week until the scratch of the eight, uh, first mission. And that's the one national treasure. I think, I think Javi and, and Bob know that this horse is not going to be trying to pass horses late. I think they're going to gun from the rail and try to gun for the lead going into that first turn. And if he gets the lead and coffee with Chris doesn't challenge him, I think he can put him to sleep on the front end and we can just see him just go on with it. So those are some outrights that you like here, but as always, there's uh, you know exacta bets, trifecta bets, etc. So with such a small field, what do you do in that in that category? So the value that I'm going to try and play is, is basically I'm going to try and beat the public. Um, so I'm I'm playing against Mage on top. So if you take your eight to five favorite and you chuck them out, if we can get a price up top, even if Mage comes in second, we can still get a, a pretty a decent um, exact payoff, even even in a short field. I mean, it, kind of alluding back to Mage, we're talking about an eight to five. All the public are gonna, all they're gonna see is it's the Kentucky Derby winner. They don't remember any of these other horses because they didn't run in the Kentucky Derby. So you're gonna get a lot of public money. Mage is really, I think, is gonna be a heavy favorite, just kind of based off of what I alluded to with the public, um, you know, keying on that horse. So I'm going to play the one national treasure, the five red route one, and the seven blazing sevens on top. And then I'm going to come back with the one, three, five. I'm also going to add the six just in case he runs a big race. I do really like Sheldon Russell. I'm sorry, um, Lynch, the jockey. They run really well at Pimlico. It might be one of those horses for the course kind of thing. So it's one, it's one, five, seven over or with one, three, five, six, and seven. And for a dollar, that's going to cost you 12 bucks. Even if we just beat the favorite and he comes in second, I think this is going to pay at least 20 to $30 uh, just beating that favorite. So um, it's not necessarily something that I think we're going to lose money in if the chalk uh, comes out on top, or at least the chalk that we have. So again, it's one, five, seven over one, three, five, six, and seven. Sean Alvarez, you can follow him on Twitter at SmoothTurn2, uh, right here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Is there anything else storyline-wise that you are looking for ahead of Saturday or even on race day? Um, I mean, I think it's always great to see a Triple Crown, or at least a horse trying or vying for a Triple Crown. I don't have the horse on top. I'm trying to beat him. But as far as the storyline goes, I think it'd be great to see Mage tr- at least try for the Triple Crown in three weeks at Belmont. And the other great storyline on that is, I don't know, I'm not sure how long it's been, maybe five, six, seven years, but Tom Durkin's been retired for five, six, seven years-ish. Um, he's one of the greatest race callers of all time. He's coming back just to call the Belmont. So to, if we can see Mage 
trying for the Bel- trying for the triple crown at Belmont with Tom Durkin calling it. I think it'd be great. It's not necessarily something I'm betting on. Uh, don't want to swallow those odds, but I think that'd be a cool storyline to see. Sean, as always, we greatly appreciate your time, expertise in the horses, and let's have a fun Saturday. Absolutely. I always appreciate talking with you. Sean Alvarez there. Follow him on Twitter at SmoothTurn2 and the Preakness Stakes. It's Saturday. Coverage starts here 1.30 p.m. local time on NBC. And uh, Sean Alvarez, that was actually a recorded interview from this morning, and we were talking a little bit uh, before the interview got started. It's his birthday weekend, so uh, he's looking for uh, a big, fun uh, weekend ahead with the horses. He's also into golf, and he has uh, Bryson DeChambeau in an outright, who's currently sitting atop the leaderboard at the PGA Championship. Bryson was your round one leader. He shot four under par. Justin Rose, he is is in uh, a tie for second right now three under par two under par as he's currently on the course right now we'll get into more of the pga championship a little bit later on in the hour but it's your turn for phone calls if you'd like to join the program 602-260-1060 once again 602-260-1060 we'll take your calls now and talk to you on the other side of the break Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Ten forty-four here on KDOS AM ten sixty. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS ten sixty dot com and with the KDOS ten sixty app, powered by SuperBook Sports. Suggest you download the KDOS ten sixty app, register. And take advantage of the listener rewards, plenty of listener rewards up on the app, including the $100 gift certificate from uh, Superbook Sports. So follow along with what is required to help you be eligible for potentially being this month's winner. As we continue our conversation involving the NBA playoffs, let's get into the Heat and the Celtics tonight. Heat plus nine, Celtics minus nine, 5.30 p.m. start tonight. It's, of course, one of our poll questions, so you can still have time to cast your vote and we'll answer it in depth around 11:30 but uh the offense certainly in game 1 ran through Jimmy Butler for the heat and the heat also crushed it from behind the arc uh it seems very clear here to me that Eric Spoelstra is just willing to ride with the hot hand when it comes to whoever's shooting well from behind the three if that's Duncan Robinson then it's Duncan Robinson if it's not and it's Caleb Martin it's Caleb Martin if it's Kyle Lowry uh kind of throwing back the clock then it's Kyle Lowry. Well, the difference between those three guys is uh, you know, Robinson doesn't can't guard anybody, literally almost anybody in the league. And uh, yeah, if if he's playing again, massive minutes, the Celtics got to attack him. No matter who he's trying to guard, that's going to be an advantage for Boston. And uh, I think that's another thing that they did not do in game one. And uh there were a whole bunch of things. We went through many of them yesterday. I went through some of those with Keith Smith uh, from Celtics blog and during the sports zone today. But uh, you know, if if Robinson's on the floor, I don't care what team you are. If you're, you'd be the worst team in the league, whoever that might be, you, know, you probably have somebody that can attack him and make him play defense and maybe negate what he's doing at the offensive end. And if he's not doing well at the offensive end, you know, Spolster is obviously, you know, no dummy. He's like the smartest, certainly the, the best coach still in the playoffs and arguably the best coach in the NBA period. 
if Robinson's not making shots, he gets him off the floor. <laughs> so if, you know, if, if he's making shots, there's a way for the opponent to at least you know, kind of at least uh, you know, curtail some of that by attacking him uh, at the defensive end of the, at the, at the defensive end of the floor. Uh, Bama Adebayo is also good, 20 points, and he did a lot of damage from the post. For the Celtics, Robert Williams, he played just 26 minutes and very minimal minutes in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that was you know crying for Williams and Horford to be playing together uh, during the last series. You know, that was the Embiid factor, of course, and they finally, uh, you know, they finally went with uh, the starting lineup of the two bigs together, and then they... You know, poof, poof, magically they won the game six and seven against the Sixers and advanced. I'm not so sure they can do that in this series because, you know, really, you know, I think the matchups actually favor the Celtics going small. This is another thing I talked about with Keith during the uh, during the first hour of today's show. So, yeah, I think that's something to, it's, uh, you know, to use a you know, Steve Nashism, a work in progress. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to work, but in the first round, it was insane that they did not go with the two bigs. This round, I mean, just matchup-wise, I'm not so sure that's the best idea. Uh, even still, the Celtics dominated the paint in Game 1, 62-40, uh, just in the way that that all unfolded. I have to imagine, though, that one of the simple uh, adjustments that the Celtics could make is get the ball in Jason Tatum's hands for the fourth quarter. Yeah. That's true, and when he did have the ball in his hands, he turned it over. Yeah. Uh, so three big turnovers in that fourth quarter, but clearly, uh, you know, it was Reggie Miller and Van Gundy losing their mind with justification, and I think everybody was losing their mind if you were watching the game. Why don't you run your offense through Jason Tatum? Obviously, going back to the Spolster factor here again, the Heat. Uh, how many touches, how many possessions do they actually have, period, at any point of the game where Butler doesn't touch the ball? Or, you know, if, if he does, you know, if he doesn't, excuse me, he's like, you know, playing a key role. He's you know, certainly getting the attention of the defense. But, I mean, it's, you know, they went through Butler, I think, almost, if not every possession of the fourth quarter. And that worked out rather well for them. Uh, really, actually, that's kind of started after halftime. But especially in the fourth quarter, you know, the best player in the in the floor is getting the ball. Uh, that's Butler. And uh, the presumed sec- second best player on the floor, Tatum, didn't get the ball very often. And when he did, he didn't do much with it. And when he did do when he did do something, it wasn't good. We might disagree a little bit here on the term must win for tonight, but definitely all of the pressure is squarely on the Celtics because I just don't think you can go back to Miami being down 0-2, that that just makes it really insurmountable uh, in Miami. And for Miami to be going back home 1-1, you know, that's great. That's true. And also I think one thing to throw in as far as you you mentioned the word pressure – uh, unless you've either been in the market or understand the market on a nightly basis, uh, the Boston market, as far as the Celtics, really sports period, but especially the Celtics and considering the the uh, the lofty expectations and the uh, fact that many people just as automatically assumed they were going to make the uh, finals after Milwaukee got eliminated in the first round, you know, the pressure on them is enormous. 
at this point just from you know local fans media yeah, etc uh that's got to be a big deal you know when i did my syndicated gig back in the day we actually had an owner operated station in boston and i don't even think i completely understood you know the, the the magnitude and the way that the landscape worked there until I you know, was talking to you know, Celtics fans, and they were good then too. Uh, Celtics fans, most of those years, they were really good. Uh, Celtics fans on a nightly or daily basis, and uh, you know that there's a lot, the uh, passion and fanaticism, if that's a word, I'm going to use that. Uh, but you know, fanatic and you know, fan, fanatic, whatever term you'd like to use, and passion. There's somewhat of a fine line there sometimes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Celtics fans I think uh, go over the line, and they're you know, I think they're just kind of obsessed <laughs> at some point, and uh, yeah, the, the, the stuff's going to hit the fan in some shape or form if this doesn't work out. Well, I do think you have a point that the roadmap was looking really nice for them to make it to the finals because uh, Miami eliminated the Bucks, And so you were able to, uh, you know, move on and not have to face them in the Eastern Conference finals. Yeah. And uh, Philly was the three seed. Correct. <laughs> so. <laughs> so with all of that in mind, I mean, yeah, it, it would be viewed as a major disappointment, especially when you consider what they did last year. You're trying to build on that. Take advantage of the time that you have with Jason Tatum as well as Jalen Brown. It would definitely be viewed as a major disappointment to not be back representing the East in the NBA finals. We wrap up our I, I would call I would call it a failure, actually. OK, we wrap up. Yeah. Hour number one on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDUS AM 1060. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Friday, May 19th edition of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Scotty Scheffler, he's uh, darn good at golf for a reason. Getting his round started, birdies one and two and is now the solo leader of the PGA Championship at five under par. It helps when you hit your approach shot on one to just about a foot away, and it helps when you hit your approach shot on two to about eight feet away. Knocks it in, and so he's two under through two, five under par, and sitting atop the leaderboard. Bryson DeChambeau, he was the uh, leader after round one. He has yet to get his second round started. I think that's going to happen in about 45 minutes or so as we continue to kind of uh, look at how this PGA championship is unfolding. Uh, the winds are uh, kind of starting to pick up a little bit here. It's expected to be a steady 10 to 20 mile an hour breeze and then with some gusts upwards of that. So you're kind of noticing at some points of the golf course, guys' shirts are really whipping around. Other points on the golf course, it's a little bit more calm. So certainly 
being able to take advantage of the holes that you can. It does look like, though, today that hole number six is the hole that you really have to pay attention to. It's there at the at least at some point this morning, there was only one birdie on the entire hole. So this course is playing very, very challenging when it comes to uh, some of our guys. Brooks Kepka, he had a birdie opportunity on two, missed it. So he's even through two, two over for the tournament. And that's good for tied for 30th at the moment uh and then as we look at some of the other players here rory mcelroy is getting his round started he's even through one today one over par that's tied for 18th right now john rom struggled mightily yesterday he was seven over par uh in his last 12 holes yesterday to finish six over he's uh, just about getting his second round started today so we'll continue to monitor things and how it's going at the pga championship from oak hill in Rochester. Uh, Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. It's a Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits Friday. We still have a $100 gift certificate available for you. We have phone call time today around 1115. 602 260 1060 is the number. We also have uh, Nuggets and Lakers game three. We have some baseball news to get into. Plenty left to go as hour number two is just around the corner on this Friday, May 19th. We'll take a break and we'll get started with hour number two next. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you.